With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On um, This is Sunday night. And um, we're going back to Joseph. We, we did a sidebar talking about, um, <clears throat> um, I can't even think. What's Judah. his name? Yeah, Judah and his mess. Mm-hmm. And um, now we're back to Joseph. <clears throat> and so we're starting in Genesis 39. So the brothers have already done their dastardly deeds, and um, Joseph has been sold into slavery, you know, and that's where we kind of pick this up. Um, after, you know, after we read that part in um, earlier when Jacob has allowed his whole family to become idol worshipers, I don't know how it is that Joseph managed to have a relationship with God closer than anything even Jacob had with the Lord. He was much more like, yeah, much more like Abraham and Isaac, you know, than even Jacob was. But Joseph um, so trusted God and um, had an an intimate relationship with him, knew him well enough to know his voice you know, to uh, to be able to to have dreams. God was speaking to him early on in his dreams and his visions and things like that. And um, so um, God was on him in such a way. The favor of God rested on Joseph like nobody else. And um, so you see that favor being played out throughout his life. It doesn't matter what his circumstances are, how crummy they are, the favor of God always was with him. And um, so when we start this chapter, we're looking at this relationship that Potiphar um, develops with Joseph. So look at verse 1, and we'll read down to verse 6. Chapter 39, starting with verse 1. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard. Remember that, captain of the guard, Mm -hmm. because that's one of his titles. And um, so you need to hold on to that. Um, Who was an Egyptian, bought him um, of the hands of the Ishmaelites. It's funny, in um, 37, 36, the Midianites... The Ishmaelites seem to have been the ones to buy um, Joseph. The Midianites sold him in Egypt, but Potiphar bought him from the Ishmaelites. So what it seems is, and this is what Jewish scholars say, is that that Joseph changed hands several times (laughs) before he ended up 
in the hands of Potiphar. Mm. You know, that, that he'd been on the blocks several times, which to me is more impactful. Now, whether that's true or not, who knows? But it's more impactful to me because um, <clears throat> regardless of how men made decisions of what to do with Joseph, he still ended up where he needed to be. He still ended up where he needed to be. Okay. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. The favor of God was all over Joseph, always. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And the master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did prosper in his hands. Potiphar saw, the word saw there is ra'al, which means Potiphar experienced and enjoyed that experience um, of Yahweh who made everything to prosper in Joseph's hands. So it wasn't that he just saw it, but it was a pleasurable thing to Potiphar. Um, and um, so when Potiphar began to, to reap the pleasures and the benefits from this young man, well, the more he gave him to do, the more Potiphar prospered. And so I love that picture, not that he just saw it, but not only that, but he experienced. And um, to me, that is exactly the blessing of Abraham all over Joseph. I will bless those who bless you. And um, Potiphar was had his socks blessed off. And he recognized that it came from the hands of Joseph, whose God was in, in control of Joseph. Joseph never bowed his knee to those idols. Um, and then in verse 4 it says, And Joseph found grace in his sight. The word found there means um, he attained the favor. You know, he by what Potiphar experienced, Joseph was able to attain favor from Potiphar. Mm. So then you look at um, Proverbs where God says, you know, trust, you know, lean on me, not on your own understanding, and you will attain the favor of both God and men. Mm. So because he had the favor of God on him, and because that favor was spread to Potiphar, the favor of Potiphar lands on Joseph. Now that's important. Because that favor of Potiphar does not leave him. So hang on to that. Going into the future here. Just hang on to the favor of God and the favor of Potiphar. And Joseph found grace in the sight, in his sight, and he served him and made him overseer over his house. And all that he had he put into his hands. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. I will bless those that bless you. Not necessarily meaning for Joseph's sake, in other words, for Joseph's benefit, but because of Joseph being there. For the sake of Joseph's presence there, Potiphar prospered. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he knew not aught that he had, save the bread which he did eat. 
And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. That favor is so important here. You know, that favor on him was amazing. Jacob never experienced that kind of favor. You know, Jacob was blessed that last six years he was with Haman. That's that amount of favor just so that he had enough wealth to get his family out. But the favor of blessing everybody around him did not exist in Jacob's life at all. Jacob was not. No, no, and he, and he still isn't. Um, but um, that favor is still available. I mean, you know, we're still under the blessings of Abraham, Galatians 2.20. I mean, not 2.23, Galatians 3. Um, Jesus became the curse so that the blessings of Abraham could come, could rest on the Gentiles. So the blessings of Abraham still rest on us. That favor is still available wherever we go. Wherever we walk, that favor is ours if we, you know, if we walk in it. Joseph walked in it. He trusted God. He was intimate with God. He listened to God. He was obedient. And that favor rested on him. Even when he was still with his family. He was yep. having dreams. Of course, yes. he told his brothers about that. Yeah, it was, that was a <laughs> stupid move, wasn't it? But, um... Yeah, young. <laughs> young and foolish. Yes, he was. So naive. Oh, yeah. Now, I think they had to know it because in the end, they they had to literally lay down before him. Uh -huh. And somebody had to think of those dreams. Somebody had to think of those dreams. Uh -huh. I loved it. Um, okay, now, don't you know, as soon as you start to do what God wants you to do, as soon as God starts blessing you, as soon as you get to that place, who enters stage left? Satan. He always enters. And what does he enter with? Pride of life, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. And there she was in Potiphar's wife. Pride, because he refused her attentions. Lust of the eyes and lust of the flesh. Oh, yeah. Because she wanted him and he refused her. So Satan was there through Potiphar's wife to try to destroy him. So let's start with verse 7. We're going to read a lot here, the whole story. <clears throat> it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. And she said, lie with me. And he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, my master wants not what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. There's none greater in this house than I. Neither has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Not against Potiphar, but sin against God. <clears throat> and it came to pass as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not to her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business and there were none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called to the men of the house and spoke to them, saying, see, he has brought in a Hebrew to us to mock us. And he came in to me to lie with me. And I cried with a loud voice. The old story. <clears throat> yep. How many times have we heard this story? Exactly right. And um, 
Yeah, and it came to pass. That's it. Oh, yeah. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spoke to him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which you have brought into us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass as I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled out. So it came to pass when his master heard these words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, After this manner did your servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in prison. But the Lord, I love that phrase, was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison and whatsoever they did there, and he was the doer of it. <clears throat> the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, and the Lord made it to prosper. Okay. Um, <clears throat> now, look at verse 1. Let's read down to verse 3 a minute. I want to show you something. And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and the baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against his two officers, against the chief of the butlers and the chief of the bakers. And he put them in the ward in the house of the captain of the guard. Now, who is the captain of the guard? Potiphar. Potiphar. Right. Potiphar is the captain of the guard. Into the prison the place where Joseph was bound. And look at verse 4. And the captain of the guard, who is Potiphar, charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued a season in the ward. So um, under, the, under the captain of the guard, the gatekeeper, <clears throat> the jailkeeper, promoted Joseph to second in command. So even in that place, he was in charge he, of the yes, the, the favor of Potiphar and the favor of God was still on him. And that favor never left him. Um, even though Potiphar had to put him in jail, that favor was still on him. It's probably protective custody. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> protective custody. No kidding. <clears throat> So, you know, most of us would probably think, it's like Joseph, I'm sure, thought, Lord, I've been so faithful to you. Why this? Why more trials? It's um, interesting to me. I, I was reading, rereading again for about the seventh time the, um, the shack while I was at the beach. And there's a place where um, uh, Sarah Yu, the Holy Spirit, takes... Um, Mac into this wild, beautiful garden in complete disarray, but absolutely gorgeous. Flowers everywhere, no anything. And he's, you know, he made mention, he said, this is so wild and untamed, but it's beautiful. And she said, yeah, Mac, it is beautiful, but it isn't out of control. She said, this is called a fractal. She said, in the middle of this, all you can see is the chaos around you, even in its beauty. But from my point of view, 
There is a perfect pattern to every bit of it. I can see the patterns that have unfolded here. You can't. And I think about Joseph's life. It, I mean, it just came to me when I was reading that. I thought, Joseph's life is a fractal. In the middle of all that mess, even going to prison is a part of the fractal. Because if he had not gone to prison, he would have spent his life serving Potiphar. He had to be able to get out from under Potiphar to find a bridge to, to Pharaoh. So even in that mess, God could see the bridge to Pharaoh where Joseph couldn't. And nor could Potiphar. None of them could see that fractal. They couldn't see that beautiful pattern. Um, only God could see that. There's a lesson in that, isn't there? Yes, there is a lesson in that. A huge lesson in that. And um, so the more I started to read this story, you know, the more those little things began to just kind of open up to me. Like, oh my gosh. He, you know, we wanted him at least to be happy with Potiphar. And I was so dashed when Potiphar put him in jail. And yet I'm thinking, when I'm looking at this fractal, I'm thinking, wow, if he had not gone to prison, he never would have gotten to Pharaoh. It was going to prison that built the bridge to Pharaoh. But even in the middle of that prison, the beauty belonged to Joseph. Joseph could make that prison whatever he wanted it to be. Um, <clears throat> when it says that um, the captain of the guard set Joseph to serve these men, the word serve there looks like it means slavery, but <clears throat> literally it's a term that means cares for, like a farmer cares for his sheep, his, his animals. Mine says take, take care of. Take care of, there you go. So it's as a superior taking care of the lesser, but not so much as a picture of a boss, but rather as a picture of the greater meeting the needs of the lesser. And that's what covenant's all about. Every covenant that God makes is the greater meeting the need of the lesser, wherever that is. And in that same covenant, we have <clears throat> a greater part to meet the need of God's lesser place. We're, the greater part of us is the ministry in the earth one-on-one -on -one in the flesh. God doesn't do that except through us. So that's our greater, our, our, um, our fulfilling his need, and then he fulfills ours. Covenant is always about give and take on both sides. So Joseph, um, in this fractal, God sees the long haul. He sees the picture. He sees the bridge. And um, he sees Joseph acting almost like Jesus, the greater meeting the needs of the lesser. You know, Joseph did not handle these men um, in an abusive way, but rather as, you know, serving them. You know, what do you need? What can I do for you? How can I help you? You know, he was more than willing to help those men, the baker and the, um, and the, the wine bearer, you know. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting, too, that in all of that, he's sort of acting as Jesus did, you know, the greater to the lesser. Even when he was falsely imprisoned, you know, Jesus was kind to everybody. Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
And the compassion that Jesus had, um, <clears throat> even knocking to Pontius Pilate, was amazing, you know. Um, so here you see another little flash of Joseph um, being put in that position, um, still humble, but being able to meet the needs of people who had more needs than his own. And the favor of God was on him to be able to do that, which, how cool is that? And um, <clears throat> so God's favor prevailed. Um, so, all right, let's, um, let's kind of move on. Let's see. All right, well, we're moving on into 40 here. Um, and let me just read you a couple of thoughts from Matthew Henry about those first four verses. The captain, the guard, charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued to seize an inward. Um, Matthew Henry says this, The world stands for the sake of the church and is governed for its good by God's hand. High places are slippery places. <clears throat> nothing more uncertain, there's nothing more uncertain than the favor of princes, those that make God's favor their happiness and his service their business will find him a better master than Pharaoh was, not so extreme to mark what they do amiss. So man's favor is only as good as what you do right. You do amiss, you lose man's favor. God's favor isn't so. You know, the grace covers what we do amiss. You know, that grace is so important. Yes, thank you, Lord. Amen. Isn't that the truth? Um, <clears throat> so the baker and, um, the, and uh, the butler were high-ranking officials in Pharaoh's house. We don't know what they did um, to be there. But it was, um, and this is just Jewish lore. Jewish lore says they were spending a year in jail. They had a year to serve. Um, don't know where it came from. I have no idea. But that was, that's Jewish consensus. Christian authors didn't even dare to go there. But the Jewish tradition is they were going to be there for a year. They continued for some time. Yes, that's continued for some time. There you go. So let's just read, this is long, but let's read this to the end of the chapter about these dreams, and then I'm going to come back and kind of share with you a little bit. <clears throat> okay, verse 5. They dreamed a dream, both of them. Each man is dreaming one night. Each man, according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came into them, um, in the morning and looked upon them and behold they were sad and he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house saying wherefore look you so sad today and they said to him we've dreamed a dream and there's no interpreter of it and Jesus I mean and Joseph said to them uh, do not interpreters interpretations belong to God Yahweh gives him the name tell me I pray you <clears throat> and the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded, and her blossom shot forth, and the clusters therefore brought forth ripe grapes. <coughs> and Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, 
and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up your head and restore you to your place. And you will deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former matter when you were his butler. But think on me when it shall be well with you and show kindness, I pray you, unto me and make mention of me unto Pharaoh and bring me out of this house. For I indeed was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. <clears throat> when the chief baker saw the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was dreaming. I was also in my dream, and behold, I had three white baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket there was all manner of baked meats for Pharaoh, and the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up your head from off of you and shall hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from off of you. <clears throat> and it came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again and gave the cup unto Pharaoh's hand. And he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. Okay. Um, a lot of things here. I mean, the dreams are what they are, and they're interpreted like they are. But isn't it interesting that both of these dreams speak of the bread and the wine? Mm. Um, <clears throat> the first dream speaks of the wine. And when you begin to look at this, if you look at John 15, go to John 15. Okay, first five verses. I'm the true vine, and my father's the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges, and that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abides in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. And I am the vine, and you are the branches. He that abides in me, and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Um, this picture that he dreamed of the vine, and then three branches coming from the vine. Um, Jesus is, you know, God himself is the vine, in a way. I mean, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the true vine. To me in this, um, because of where Joseph is, it's as if, um, and three, of course, is God's number of perfection. 
This is speaking about covenant. Um, in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob being three, ban three branches from the true vine. Okay. Um, and they produced much fruit, and the fruit was crushed into Pharaoh's cup. And it also speaks of um, Jesus coming, okay, and his blood, you know, the crushing of the grapes, filling the cup. The picture here is um, there's a promise here, even for Joseph. He doesn't see it yet. But because the, of that dream, because of the picture of the grapes being crushed into Pharaoh's cup, and the butler doing that, it's the butler that brings Joseph out of that prison. Mm -hmm. You know, there's new life in that crushing of the, of the vine. And those three branches could easily have spoken of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because <clears throat> if Joseph does not come out of that prison, there is no um, hope for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, there's no hope for them. They have to come as a family into Egypt. They have to be planted in Goshen so that a nation can be birthed. And, and so it's through the butler's cup, the shedding of the blood there, the, the crushing of the fruit, that there's life for Israel through Joseph. So in a way, I think it speaks to that. Um, there's redemption in the blood. Go to Romans chapter 3. <clears throat> So Joseph, because of this butler, was eventually justified. In other words, declared not guilty and brought out of prison and established as the second in command under Pharaoh because of the dream of the butler. Okay? Um, all right, Romans 3. I guess I better get to Romans 3. Huh? Unless you can remember it. Yeah, no, I'm not that good. No. Okay, look at verse 21. <clears throat> but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God. Now you realize Joseph lived on the other side of the law. He lived under grace too, because the law had not been given yet. So he lived under grace, we live under grace. So between Abraham and us, the law came, Jesus fulfilled the law, nullified the curse that goes with the law, and restored us to grace. Okay? So kind of look at it like that. <clears throat> Verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all, and upon all them that believe, for there's no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. It's the blood that brings us to justification. The crushing of those grapes, the wine, if you will, that's the justifier. And there was almost that picture of Joseph being justified, you know, by the crushing of those grapes. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the three branches. Okay. <clears throat> to declare his righteousness 
for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus. Where's the boasting then? It's excluded. By what law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. And that's where Joseph lived, by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude the man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So I, I think there's a, a, a prophetic there um, for Joseph, even though he doesn't see it at the time. But it does. It speaks of Jesus as a deliverer. Jesus was crucified from before the foundations of the world. His blood was poured out before we ever said light be, before God ever said light be. And um, he's the justifier of Joseph. And the butler is the one that gets the justification for Joseph. He's the one. But the baker <clears throat> has three baskets of breads. Eatable breads is the literal translation there. Not just sweet cakes, but eatable breads or edible breads. On his head, no matter what he did, he could not stop the birds from devouring it. Okay, in Egypt, this is the custom of the day. Any person who is found guilty and sentenced to death, all right, would either be hanged um, um, by nailing to a tree or would have been impaled on the tree, okay? So this butler was either hanged on a tree because it says he was hanged. His head was lifted up and he was hanged on the tree. And um, it doesn't say he was impaled, but he was broken, sinful flesh, you know, broken and hanged on a tree. And you see that in Galatians 22. It just shouts, you know, Jesus became the curse because cursed is every man that hangs on the tree so that the blessings of Abraham, the blessings of Abraham can come on the Gentiles. And to me, seeing this broken flesh, this sinful man broken, hanging on the tree under the curse, you know, is that picture <clears throat> that speaks to all of us because that was our sentence. You know, that was actually our sentence. But Jesus took that for us so that the blessings of Abraham come to us. Um, one of these men was set free. He was guilty, but he was set free. And the other was killed. Picture of the scapegoat and the goat that sacrificed for the sin offering. Okay. The butler was the scapegoat and was set free because of the crushed, the, the cup of wine. But the one that was hung on the tree was the one who was crucified for his sins. You know, who was hung on a tree for his sins. And there's a picture there again of Joseph being delivered through the blood, you know, as opposed, and, and the curse being taken to the man with the breads. Not to Joseph. Joseph got free of that when the man, when the butler went to Pharaoh. Um, Joseph was freed from, um, you know, from the prison. He was set free because both of those dreams were accurately interpreted. One lived, one died, but both dreams were accurately interpreted. Mm -hmm. 
So Joseph couldn't see that. Again, it's this fractal in his life, things that happened that God knew would happen and ordered just like the whole plan of salvation and the whole story of earth from beginning to end looks like a big mess from where we stand. But in God's eyes, it's a fractal. And when we study the word, we see the patterns. You begin to see them play out. But I just find it really interesting that those dreams, they could have been about anything, but they were about bread and wine, bread and wine, bread and wine. And they spoke to Joseph's justification, you know, and Joseph's redemption from prison because of the way he ministered and because of the way he interpreted those dreams, you know, and it was through the, the butler and the crushed grapes that he was delivered. He declared not guilty. So, I mean, <clears throat> you know, there's a lot there to look at. Um, and Joseph couldn't see it coming, but from our perspective on the other side, you can see it. And you can see the signs that point to what Jesus eventually did for all of us. You know, at the cross, the broken um, bread, I'm the bread of life, broken for you. And I am the cup, you know, I'm the drink offering poured out to establish that covenant. So, <clears throat> The dreams that Joseph um, interpreted made the difference. Um, I want to stop here and do some history, just um, just to kind of give us a picture. Um, in the movie of, of Exodus, you get the feeling that Ramses was Pharaoh at that time. But if you look historically, Ramses was actually... Um, Ramses actually existed prior to Joseph being there years before because the city of Ramses was already established but the people of, of um, the Israelites began to build onto that city make it greater but the city was there already they didn't build from the ground up a city um, for Ramses okay so it isn't Ramses now just to kind of give you a timeline here there are two thoughts. First <clears throat> is that, um, well, the timeline is from like 2000 to 1600 B.C., about 400 years in there, 450 years when, when Israel was in Egypt, okay? So it was either the 12th dynasty, which would have been the Middle Kingdom, which would range from 2000 to 1786 B.C., or the secondary and intermediate period, which was from 1786 to 1570 B.C. I think it just kind of overlaps in there, myself. Um, a lot of scholars think that this was the time of the Hexos rulers. And that you're going to hear mentioned, we don't call them the Hexos rulers, we call them shepherd kings. There was a time when um, people from um, Canaan, Canaanite, and all that area came down into Egypt. But this is really after the children of, of Israel took over. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they escaped. But they came and they, um, they conquered part of Egypt. They never conquered all of Egypt. But they ruled in like the, the uh, Nile Delta Valley on the, the east side of the Nile and all that area, north and south. 
and a little bit of the southern part on the eastern part. But they never controlled all of Egypt. However, the referral to those um, shepherd kings in um, history is what the king stumbles on in Exodus 1. Pharaoh stumbles onto that and he goes, oh my gosh, these guys came from the same area. Maybe they are going to try to conquer us again. And let's make slaves of them so they can't do it. But he completely lost the sight of Joseph and he completely misunderstood this history. You know, when he started to enslave the children of Egypt. Okay. It was 400 years earlier. He lost sight of Egypt. Yeah, the history here is kind of muddled. So we need to look at some clues. What are Bible clues? Um, <clears throat> go to 1 Kings chapter 6. First Kings six. So we're gonna have to kind of do some adding forward and adding backwards, okay? All right. It came to pass. In the 480th year after the children of Israel were come out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel in the Mount Ziph, which is the second month that he began to build the house of the Lord. Okay. This is the math. Are you ready for this? This was, I'm not a math person, so this was, this took forever. Strain the brain. Oh my gosh, it was such a headache. But 480 years before Solomon's reign, before the fourth year of Solomon's reign, most scholars agree that that was the year 966 B.C. So that would have been about 1,000 years before Jesus was born, which puts us in the ballpark, okay? <clears throat> so that places the Exodus at about... 1446 B.C., which agrees with the 12th dynasty. That's the Middle Kingdom. 14. Oh, 14, yeah. Mm -hmm. 46 B.C. And that agrees with the 12th dynasty, okay? Um, <clears throat> so that would make it during the Middle Kingdom, which would have been between 2000 in 1786 B.C., you know. So we're still in the ballpark here. And then 1786 to 1570 B.C. Don't worry about those dates, but just <laughs> kind of get the picture here that that places us, if you add, 50, you know, 500 years to that, that places Israel squarely going into Egypt during the Middle Dynasty. Okay? okay? Now... <clears throat> Um, Exodus 12.40, go to Exodus, <clears throat> it's, the numbers are not quite as important as just knowing which dynasty, so you can understand who the rulers were and what was happening in Egypt, because you need to understand that in order to understand 
you know, how this whole thing plays out with the children in Egypt for 430 years. They weren't enslaved for 430 years, no. oh. you know. They were not enslaved for 400 years, but they were in Egypt for 430 years. And during that 430 years, there was a part of it when they were in bondage, but not the whole time. Do we know how much? Yes, That's what we can calculate it. That's what I'm going to show you. <clears throat> but I think, you know, just because we're at a good stopping point for a minute, Joseph is about to get out of prison, that I'll just stop here and we'll do some history so that you kind of appreciate where Joseph is taking everybody. We're looking at the fractal now, trying to put some pattern in the fractal. Okay, Exodus 12, um, verse 40. <clears throat> okay, now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. Exactly. And it came to pass at the end of 430 years, even the selfsame day. And that's the important part of this. Exactly 430 years, not a day more, not a day less, exactly 430 years. Even the selfsame day, it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. So it isn't 430 years, give or take a few. It was exactly 430 years, okay? So Joseph, if you back this up now, Joseph came to Egypt in about 1876 B.C. Okay, and that's when the Middle Kingdom was in existence. Um. <clears throat> And um, it was not um, during the time of the shepherd kings. The shepherd kings were in another time altogether, okay? Um, look at Genesis 41, 14. This is further proof that it was the middle kingdom. Um, look at Genesis 41. <clears throat> we're almost at it. 14. Because he did something here that was a custom during the middle um, the Middle Kingdoms. We're trying to prove that Joseph had nothing to do with the shepherd kings, and neither did the children of Israel. They were not related to, and they had nothing to do with the shepherd kings. Okay? They, do some people try to say that they Yeah, they do, because, well, in fact, um, Pharaoh did. Mm -hmm. This is what he says in Exodus. Um, <clears throat> let me just read it to you. Um, Hmm. Now there rose up a new king over Egypt who knew not Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let's deal with them wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass that when there falls out any war, they join with their enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Um, ah, where is the passage? I've lost the shepherd kings. It's here. Where did you just read that? This is in Exodus 1. Therefore they did set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities. Um, let's see. Um, gee, I thought it was right here. 
but I'm not seeing it. I'm going to have to find that one and get back well, to you on it. But it had to do with the shepherd kings. They thought that Israel was part of those old shepherd kings that had tried to dominate Egypt. So they were scared that they were going to try to do it again. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so this was not the time of shepherd kings. This was a time after that, well after that. Um, and this was the custom of the day. Look at Genesis um, 41, 14. <clears throat> then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself. Literally, he shaved his whole body, his entire body head to toe, and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. It was during the Middle Kingdom that it was believed that hair was unpleasing to the, to the gods. So the men would keep their bodies completely shaved all the time. In Egypt. In Egypt, right. The Hyksos rulers had no such custom. They were hairy, <laughs> woolly men. And um, so this is another proof that Joseph came during the Middle Kingdom and not at another period, okay? I'm trying to kind of build this case because um, people keep wanting to put him back where Ramses was because of the movie, and um, they're trying to put him in a lot of places. But Scripture can clearly nail him down to where he was. Well, so Joseph, this is... Joseph. Joseph, I mean. in the movie. No, but, but when the children came out, they said that Ramses was in power. Ramses was in power when the Hyksos kings were around. And that is not when, so it wasn't Ramses. Ramses. Yeah. But they were not in power when okay. the children of Egypt came out. I mean, the children of Israel came out. So that's what I'm trying to tell you. History okay. has all blended and run together. And um, so I'm trying to give you some points of fact to give you a reason to understand why that's not so. <laughs> if I'm confused, it's because it's a math thing. So forgive me for that. Okay. So it's just another little bit of proof that um, Joseph was there in the Middle Kingdom at that time frame. In like 1700 B.C. 17, what did I just tell you? 17, I mean 1876 B.C. Okay. When he went in to Egypt. Okay, <clears throat> now look at Genesis 41, look at verses 41 through 43. Okay, um, the Hexos kings never ruled all of Egypt, but in this period of time, Pharaoh is ruler over all of Egypt, totally incomplete. There is no partial rulership here. It all belongs to Pharaoh. All right, look at verse 41. And Pharaoh said to Jesus, see, Joseph. I mean to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And that word literally means inclusive, nothing excluded, complete, whole, and entire. That's what that word means. All of the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestitures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. 
And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him and bowed the knee and made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. There, there is, And it's repeated again in verse 46. Um, and Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. Not, not partial rule, but all the land, which also points to this middle kingdom. Okay? Um, <clears throat> also, Joseph's wife, um, look at verse 45. He's given a wife. Pharaoh called Joseph's name um, Zaphnathaniah. <laughs> Do you love it? Yes. And called Joseph's, yeah, <clears throat> and gave him to wife Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. And Joseph went over all the land of Egypt. Uh, repeated again. So his daughter is um, the daughter of the priest of On. On was their chief god during the Middle Kingdom. When the Hyksos rulers, when the shepherd kings were involved, they worshipped Baal. <clears throat> so again, it's more proof that it's the Middle Kingdom. So, based on that, based on those Bible records, Joseph was taken into Egypt in the Middle Kingdom. And he was under two great pharaohs. Sesostris II. S-E-S-O-S-T-R-I-S. Sesostris II. And Sesostris III. Okay. <clears throat> um... So he, he would have been there alone during from 1897 B.C. to 1843 B.C. Okay. Um, and he came as a slave. The Middle Kingdom is in its first historically recorded period in Egypt. And um, it was also the first kingdom in all the history of Egypt to incorporate slavery at the tail end of it. Slavery did not exist in Egypt. All the workers that built those cities were paid workers in Egypt up until um, a very wicked man comes to power. And we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. The Great Pyramids were already built by hired peasant labor. They were already in existence when Joseph went there. <clears throat> and it's believed that the famine took place under Sesostris III's reign. Okay. So, at 17 years of age, Joseph comes to Egypt. How are we doing? Am I really making you confused? <laughs> okay, in about 1876 B.C. Um, and that was the last two years of Sesostris II's life. He was 17 when he came? Mm, yep, he was 17. He lived in Egypt 13 years before being raised to power by the III in about 1863 B.C. He was roughly 30 years old when he comes to power, and that's in Genesis 41, 46. Yeah. He was 30 years old. So, in about 1856 B.C., the famine hits. Okay? And that's seven years after Joseph comes to power. There's seven good years, 
And then the famine hits. <clears throat> so Joseph prepared so well that the Third is greatly prospered all the way through the famine. the Third comes out being one of the greatest rulers Egypt ever has because Joseph prospers it. So what happened is Joseph stored up all this grain. He built these, he designed and engineered these amazing um, silos, I guess you call yeah. them. But they're mostly underground. And um, they, they would rise up out of the ground and they would have a, a bank, an earth bank, that rose up around them. And then they had a stairway that would go up in the middle of two silos that were together. And the stairway would go up and you'd pour the grain into the silos and then go down the stairs on the other side. So people could just keep coming through and pouring the grain and bringing the grain. And he built silo after silo after silo. And he stored all this food. Well, when the whole, you know, all the way up to Beersheba, everybody was in famine. Everybody was coming to Egypt, including the Egyptians. So Joseph was taking their money and their lands and their cattle and their sheep and everything in payment for all this grain, which wasn't costing Sesostris anything because Joseph had been saving it for seven years. And so when the, when the famine ends, Sesostris is extraordinarily rich. You know, Egypt is extraordinarily rich because of it. So Sesostris now becomes one of the most important rulers in the 12th dynasty, but all because of what Joseph did. All right? So now, <clears throat> Israel moves to Egypt under Sesostris III. So it's Sesostris III that raises, or the second, that raises Joseph up to second in command. And then he dies, and Sesostris III takes over, and Joseph rules under Sesostris the third. Okay? Middle kingdom. These are not names you read in scripture. And the reason they were talking about Ramses and all these names is because of the city names. But the cities were already there. They were already named Ramses and you know, but but the Hebrew people were made to enrich them, to build treasuries in these cities, you know, and enrich these cities. Um so, yeah, but Sesostris III is most likely in history who was Pharaoh because even at that he rose to power and was extraordinarily rich after this famine. And there is a famine recorded during Sesostris' life. Blah, blah, blah. Right. It's easy to say right. Yes, it is. It is. <clears throat> okay. So during that time frame, Sesostris dies, and his son, Amenemhat, Amenemhat the yeah. third, comes to the throne. Um, <clears throat> um, Sesostris the third, with Joseph now, had taken Egypt to his zenith. Amenemhat the third continues in that glory. All right, foreign trade is extensive now. Um, the exploitation of the mines and the quarries in Egypt are producing all these rare stones and jewels and all these minerals are getting sold out of there. Um, <clears throat> and it produces great wealth for Egypt. 
and it expands the kingdom now to include other lands like Nubia. Egypt begins to eat up lands all around them. Okay. So Joseph dies about 1783 to 1785 BC. And at that point, Egypt is at its zenith. Okay. And at this point in history, because of the calendars, there's like a 15-year gap. You know, there's a 15-year disagreement on when certain things happen. Um, <clears throat> between the Jewish calendar, archaeological dating, and um, the other calendars that are used here. So there gets to be like a 15-year gap. So we're going to be talking now plus or minus 15 years, okay, from God here on. Seventy eighty eighty five. Did you say? Around roughly. How old was he when he died? Oh. That's all right. You don't have to figure that. One. I I I've got it written here somewhere, but I can't remember. I'll find it for you. Okay. So now there's this fifteen year give or take um, dispute that arises with dates. So we're not gonna you know just nail it down number by number. But historians are pretty certain about these dates, you know, pretty certain. Okay, now, <clears throat> you begin to look at what happens, and they look for Pharaoh, whose cruelty instituted slavery. And a fear of Israel comes, and then there's an order of mass murder. You know, two-year-olds and under are murdered. Um, yeah, and... Um, so this all has to fit into scriptural descriptions, 430 years in the future. So scholars go 430 to 445 years into the future, and they find these kings, Tutmose II and Tutmose III. Okay? Tutmose II and Tutmose III. And they believe that these are the kings under which... Um, Moses is born, slavery is instituted. Um, Tutmos I has a daughter named Hatshepsut, who marries Tutmos II. Hatshepsut ends up actually ruling. She's like the ruler behind Tutmos II. And she even, they have statues to her and things like that. She became a very powerful woman in Egypt. But after Joseph dies, and Amenhot the first dies. Then there's a series of really weak pharaohs that follow. And every pharaoh just reduces the power, reduces the income, drains the nation of everything until there's very little power and glory left. And there's great fear now because they can't defend themselves well um, that other nations now are going to come in and, um, you know, rise up and destroy them. The Assyrians are serious. You know, and even before that, there are nations that could come in. So they are seriously weakened. Yeah. So Tutmose I comes to power, they say roughly about 1526 B.C. And he reigns um, to 1513 B.C., give or take 15 years, okay? <laughs> and his cruelty knows no bounds. He is murderous. He murders a lot of his own family. He murders all kinds of people that, you know, that seem to come against him. Um, then he, he's the one, Tutmos I, 
is the one who begins to institute slavery because he wants to rebuild Egypt quickly. So he institutes slavery and he incorporates the, the children of Israel in that. Um, and he wants to build these great temples and memorials, uh, tombs and obelisks. So the children of Israel end up building those things, not the, not the pyramids and not the cities, but these great tombs, these great obelisks, these great and temples. Yes, and they are enslaved under Tutmos the first. Mm. Okay, um, and it's believed now that that Moses is born between fifteen ten and fifteen thirty, which would put him right at the end of King Tutmos the first reign. And that Tutmos' daughter, Hatshepsut, is probably the one who found him because um, it was like the last three years of Tutmos the first reign. So it's more than likely that Hatshepsut, who is the one that ends up ruling a lot behind Tutmos the second, she ends up marrying Tutmos the first son, which sort of fits into the movie, except the names are changed to protect the innocent. But, um, um, she's, Tutmos the first daughter. And Mary's Tutmos the first son. Yes. Okay. You know, different moms, what is it? Different, yeah. same yeah. fathers, different, different moms. Different mothers, brothers with different mothers, or whatever it is. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, she ends up marrying Tutmos the second. And she's the one that eventually rules. She's the woman behind the throne, you know. Um, when he was alive, and then after he died, she usurps the throne and rules on her own. Oh, really? Mm, she does. Um, so Moses then would have been raised under Tutmos the first and alongside Tutmos the second until he came to power. So um, um, that puts him in a place where um, um, he would have had great authority there, ruling you know, being grown, raised under Tutmosis the first and with Tutmosis the second. You know, Tutmosis the was older, but still it would have been, you know, raised like brothers because they had the one strong mother, Hatshepsut. Now, Hatshepsut marries Tutmosis the third, and she has Nefertiri. Now, you know, Nefertiri shows up as the daughter of Ramses, which in the movie, which you know, but no. <laughs> Nefertiri's in there, but she's the daughter of Tutmos III, I mean the second, and um, Hatshepsut. Okay. And it's during that time of Tutmos III that Moses would have been exiled, that he would have been thrown out. And it was <clears throat> during Tutmos I's reign when slavery would have started for them. So, you know, there weren't all that many years of slavery. But they That's began to cry right? out. Yeah. They began, as soon as the slavery started, Egypt, Israel began to cry out. Mm -hmm. And God began to answer, and Moses was born. Mm -hmm. So 80 years later, see, that was really less than 100 years that they were mm -hmm. enslaved. That's a long time. Oh, it's a very long time. When you're in there, yeah. Oh, my, yes. In the middle of a fractal. <laughs> That's it, in the middle of a fractal. Exactly right. <laughs> How well said. Oh, okay, man. just a little more history. Let's see if I can push this. 
to a good stopping point here. Um, <clears throat> so when Tutmos III comes to power, um, about 40, 1479 B.C., he reigns 52 years. And he is all about rebuilding Egypt. So he just wears the, the Israelis out, rebuilding Egypt. Things that were already there, but rebuilding and, you know, refurbishing. He also rebuilt his military, and he was known as a warrior. He actually went out and began to conquer other lands, you know, all around that area to try to build Egypt and make it larger. So he did have an army. He was well known for his army. Um, you know, all those great men of battle that came after Egypt, I mean, after Israel. And he even went into Canaan and Syria and tried to conquer them. Didn't do too well, but he went all the way to Syria. Can you believe that? North of Israel. He marched all the way around there trying to take land. Okay. So, um... Now he has a son, Amenemhat II. Okay. And guess what? That son, that firstborn son, precedes him in death, which speaks to the angel of death when it came through. His son preceded him in death, Amenemhat. And uh, Nefertiri is the only one that survived that, that daughter. But his first son died, which is speaks to the confirmation, another timeline for when Israel would have come out of Egypt right during the time of Tutmosis III. Mm -hmm. Okay. <clears throat> so the exodus of Israel then is placed at about 1450, 1425 B.C. Okay. They went in in 18-something, and now they're out in 1425, 430 years later. 425, okay. 425, 425, excuse me, 425 B.C., somewhere in that area, which would mean that Tutmos III was in power. Israel would have been in hard slavery for just about 100 years. We said that. Um, architects have found a tomb of Rechmeyer, who was the mayor of Thebes and a visor for Tutmos III, and there's a wall painting. There's not a lot of proof about Israel being enslaved there. There's not a lot of writing about it. They haven't found those things. But they have found these wall paintings in this tomb. And the wall paintings show Israelites um, making bricks of mud to build temples. And um, the temples of Arnhem and Karnak. And there's an overseer worker there. And he has a rod in his hand. And the quote underneath says, Be not idle. <laughs> yeah. Um, the record is thin, but they're, they're beginning to find at least these Egyptian walls, these decorations that prove that Israel was there during that time period, um, confirming everything. But... Um, you know, they're not allowed to excavate much anymore. They're not allowed to be in those places. And um, war has just destroyed so much that they, you know, they haven't been able to come to it. But um, anyway, I just kind of wanted to, well, it's five minutes over. But I wanted to give you that archaeological background um, just so that when we start into this business of, of Joseph coming to power and 
you know, to give you a picture of the fractal, because we're just going to be right in the middle of the muck um, as we go from here. And I don't know the name of it, but there is a novel about that queen and Tutmosis. Is there really? Yeah. That yeah. kind of confirms. Well, yeah. it's a novel. Or, yeah. But, I mean, it was researched, mm -hmm. so. Yeah. But just yeah. about what you were talking mm -hmm. about, I have to get go through my Kindle library. Yeah, <laughs> see what's there, yeah. It's really interesting, because we don't, you know, we don't think about it. I mean, I just assumed Charlton Heston knew what he was doing, mm -hmm. you know? And that they had told. it all right. Yeah. And, and basically, the story is right, but the time period is wrong, and the pharaohs are wrong. Other than that. Other than that, movie. the story is great, yeah. So um, take that for what it's worth, but just to kind of give you an idea of the, of the historical time period and who the pharaohs were. Mm -hmm. So on the front end is Thothenes, yeah, and on the back end is Tutmos. And um, well, which Tutmos was your brother? I, I think he was, he was the third. Tutmos the third, I think, is who he was. Even though they called him oh, your brother, oh, yeah, your brother, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so I anyway, Ramesses, right? Ramesses, well, Ramesses that's is it. the name of the city, then. Yeah. Okay. And that's why Not people say person. that it had to be Ramesses because they were building the city after Ramesses. But no, Ramses already existed. They were just building the temples there and rebuilding the broken down cities because they'd had so many lousy pharaohs. So this, you know, Tutmos decides I'm going to rebuild all those cities and make them grand and beautiful like they used to be. So that's where the slavery comes in. They weren't building the, the pyramids or building these cities, but yes, they were rebuilding them from the ground up. So, oh, no, yeah. That's yeah, I love that history. And and the fact that his son Amenemhat dies before him, the second Amenemhat second, dies before him, which confirms exactly what happened when the death angel came through. The timing is um exactly right on with what happened with Israel and when they came out and when Joseph went in based on the times that they can pick up from things like 430 years, you know, four days, you know, four years from Solomon's, after Solomon reigns, you can go back and pick up those dates pretty specifically mm -hmm. and then from there build forward again. But um, the proof is there. I mean, you know, the, the documentation is there. And scripture is not wrong. Um, some people are saying, yeah, it's all wrong. You know, Ramses wasn't, it was somebody else. And we're going, they never said it was Ramses in scripture. They never said who it was. They just said a new Pharaoh came to power that didn't know Joseph. And, um, so I love the way people spend so much effort yeah. trying to debunk the Bible. Yeah. I just think they're so smart. Oh, yeah. wow. This couldn't possibly be true because this is what was going on. And, um, when you, when you can go back when there are people out there who actually do that math, who can start with Solomon mm -hmm. and, go and go back, counting almost to the day, and then figure from there what was going on and how many years Joseph was there and when he went in and how old everybody was, you can, you can make a beautiful, pretty accurate timeline. To think that in that 2,000 years, they're only you know, 15 to 20 years off, that's not bad. You know, that's not bad. And, of course, that's just based on calendars. 
you know, archaeological dating and calendars. So, anyway. So, all right. So, we'll pick up with Joseph then again next week. But at least you have that fractal in place. So, you can see the overhaul of what God is doing. It's pretty cool stuff. Okay. I guess I better mark this because I won't remember where the heck I was. So, I won't remember that when I get home. Believe me. Um, yeah. Oh, I just finished laundry last night. Been home a week and. Did you did you see the um, did you see the shot? Yes, and it's pretty accurate. Yeah. I loved it. Have you seen it? The movie. You can get it on Netflix. It's on. Yeah, you can. You can get it on Netflix. I'll go home and watch it. Yeah, the shack. You need to watch it. And they're talking, we were talking about him being in the garden and it was a mess. Yes. Because it's such a mess. And then the camera pulls, pulls out. And you see the That's right. Off. It does. I forgot all about that. Yeah, you should see the movie. If you can, it's on DVD now. You can, um, you can get it at a red box store. You know, the little red box is outside the drugstore or whatever. You can get it there. Do I Some places they do. I don't know if they got them here or not. What? Red boxes, yeah. Well, there you go, CVS. Yeah, yeah. So you should be able to find the shack there. You know, if you don't have Netflix, you can go Red Box. So. Unless you order Yeah, no, no. Red Box has contemporary movies as soon as they're released. Netflix. Oh, Netflix. I don't know if you can get it on the internet. Yeah. Why? You can. Okay. <clears throat> you can. It's there because, yeah, I know you can. So, yeah, you can get it. It's wonderful. It's good. It's really accurate. You, you miss a lot of the meat that's in the book, but um, it's still wonderful. You know, you can tell Paul Williams had a lot to do with it to be sure it was accurate. Mm-hmm. I think it did. So, yeah, good stuff. Well, okay, let me just pray with you here. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.